You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. I'm super interested in what curiosity looks like in our day-to-day lives. When you're experiencing a state of curiosity or other kind of positive emotions, you tend to broaden out into the world. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media for the 100th time, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Yes, this is my 100th episode. That's a lot of conversations about curiosity, and I confess I was struggling with how best to mark the occasion, but I share this breaking news, which just happened to land in my lap, coincident with this episode. Arlington Magazine has chosen Choose to be Curious as best local podcast. It's an amazing honor and a tribute to the many, many people who have joined me to think aloud together in conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life and who help make this all work behind the scenes. I would be remiss if I didn't give Arlington Independent Media proper credit for making all of this possible. I can't ever say enough thanks to all my fellow travelers. I learn from my guests, mentors, and collaborators in more ways than I can count. They keep my mind sharp and my heart singing. They keep me up nights thinking new thoughts, and they get me out of bed in the morning wanting to dig in still further. It's quite a gift, and I am thrilled that the show has gotten the recognition. It's a tribute to all of them. The January-February issue of Arlington Magazine dropped about two days ago and includes all of the winners. A big shout-out to all the local businesses and people who have earned this recognition in our community. Choose to be curious is in remarkable company. Yeah, no pressure here on the 100th episode. My intern from American University, Michaela Dwyer, happened to be in the studio, shadowing me in prep for her own upcoming episode. When the question of the 100th episode came up, at the end of the interview, she turned the mic on me. I'm wondering how the work that you're doing now, like your 100th episode, is different than the work that you start out, started out to do. Ah, it's such an interesting question, you know, because I was, I was just listening to an early episode to incorporate a piece of it in what I'm working on now. And I realized... This feels native to me now in a way that it didn't then. And it still feels fresh, which is really exciting, actually, given that I've had a lot of these conversations at this point. But I do feel like I'm in my element in a way that I didn't at first. And so maybe that's like a fake it till you make it. I don't know. But but it's an argument for staying with something even when it's new, it's hard, it's complicated. How has your curiosity transformed since starting this show? I think I am increasingly intentional about my curiosity. Not that I'm sort of always endlessly asking questions, but I am in my head anyway, always asking questions and always sort of drilling down a little bit so that I'm less satisfied with superficial answers than I was before. So yeah, things. it's a you know what's interesting about it is it's it's not just that I'm curious, but I see connections everywhere now. 
And I think that's I think that is part of the curiosity practice of the craft of choosing to be curious is that you you do see these connections. It's part of the reason I do the analogy jar, right? I'm forcing people to see connections. And that, my friends, is the perfect segue to where I want to go next. Seeing connections. David Lydon Staley is a postdoctoral researcher in Dr. Danny Bassett's Complex Systems Group in the Department of Bioengineering at the University of Pennsylvania. His research focuses on the unfolding of human behavior over short time scales, like moment to moment, day to day, during the course of everyday life. He makes use of things like functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI, experimental laboratory paradigms, and experience sampling methodologies coupled with intensive longitudinal data and network analysis techniques. And now he's turned his keen eye on this show, Choosing to be Curious about Choose to be Curious. So welcome, David. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it's very exciting to have you here. I've never had anybody here who knows as much about this show already. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me, what is it that you're going to do with Choose to be Curious? Sure. So Choose to be Curious has resulted in just so much data for a scientist like me and for other people who are interested in this project. So this is really the brainchild of Dr. Perry Zern, who's been a guest on the show. He's a uh, professor of philosophy at American University. We have transcripts of, of all the episodes. And he's gone through and coded um, definitions of curiosity that have come up in the show and also practices of curiosity. What does it look like to be curious in everyday life? And so we have this like, rich data stream. And when you have a, a rich data stream like this, it's hard to kind of sift through all that data. That's part of what is exciting about it. It's a lot of raw material. It, a lot of raw material. <laughs> and it can kind of, it's like going to an art gallery and you just have all these, you know, different paintings in front of you. And they're just kind of a lot of them going over your head, but you're just happy to be flooded by all these uh, really interesting experiences. But so what we're thinking of doing is applying network analysis to uh, get a sense of the vast stream of data. So once we have uh, definitions and practices of curiosity that are kind of individual pieces out there on our spreadsheets uh, in in our data stores, I guess, we want to see how all these things link up together. Mm -hmm. And so in network science, we take all these little individual pieces or concepts and we think of them as nodes. And then we put connections in between concepts that are related to one another. And we can do this manually. We can say, okay, these seem to be exploring the same type of ideas, or we can do it in a data-driven way. So I'm particularly interested in the data-driven way of doing it where we don't necessarily have to come in with a preconceived notion of, okay, these things tend to go together. Right, you don't decide what the connections are, and the connections are revealed. Exactly. Ah, nice, um, nice. And so both approaches, I think, are really important. You have the uh, approach where you come in with a kind of set of beliefs, but with the data-driven approach, it puts things together based on the frequency with which they use similar words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are often not patterns that you would come up with when you immediately look at the, the data just because it's so vast. But there's something exciting about letting the computer find <laughs> connections for you and then trying to make sense of those connections after the fact. Uh-huh. Um, and there are a suite of tools once you have this network of concepts and the potential connections between them where you can start to synthesize that down into a more meaningful bite-sized pieces that you can start to interpret and to build a theory from. So what do you hope to find? 
I'm super interested in what curiosity looks like in our day-to-day lives. Mm -hmm. We know that people who are more curious tend to have greater well-being. And one of the kind of big theories behind this comes from Barbara Fredrickson's broaden and build theory of positive emotions. So when you're experiencing a state of curiosity or other kind of positive emotions, you tend to broaden out into the world. You have this Mm -hmm. openness to new experiences. You go out and you actually physically do things. You get more information. um, You make more social connections that you wouldn't normally do. And uh, all of these kind of resources that you collect, even though usually they don't have any utility in the moment, you're not doing them because they're uh, giving you some uh, tangible utility. They're theorized to kind of build up your resources and to uh, increase your well-being over long-term timescales. And so we find that in our data. We find that people who are more curious tend to have greater well-being. But I don't think we have a good handle on what actually are those resources that we Mm -hmm. gain from this practice. Mm -hmm. And so one way to do that is to um, really uh, dive in deep into individuals' lives, like at the momentary level, the daily level, and ask them, you know, are you experiencing curiosity right now? What behaviors are you doing right now? So what are the practices and what are the resources that come out of that practice? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, looking through these transcripts of all of these Choose to be Curious episodes, we're getting like a ton of different practices that are that people are doing that are making tangible what uh, up until now is kind of an in- intangible theory of resources that are being developed that impact well-being. So I think for me, the most exciting thing is that uh, kind of like drawing in the, the kind of gap between curiosity and well-being. Oh. So you're... You're going to come up with the data that supports my hypothesis. <laughs> this is good for all of us. <laughs> I knew there was a reason I agreed to this. Because I'll tell you, it's actually sort of, it's a little intimidating to think about this analysis. Because in some ways, you're really doing a, a network analysis of my idea of curiosity, mm-hmm. right? So how do you, is there enough data that you can kind of minimize me in, in it? <laughs> so... I did talk about like minimizing all this vast data into something that's interpretable, mm-hmm. but part of me almost doesn't want to. Um, <laughs> like one, one thing that I think we're going to find, and I think we're finding in you know the research in psychology in general, which tends to be my background, is a diversity of different types of, yeah. of curiosity. Yeah. I know you've had Todd Cashinet on the show, and he has like a five-dimensional scale of curiosity. Perry Zern has three kind of archetypes of curious practice. And so there's something to be said for not coming to an answer so quickly that we don't allow our curiosity to let us drive us further um, to really get a sense of the spread of definitions and ideas of curiosity. Um, I forgot the question. <laughs> well, I let my curiosity <laughs> drive me away. <laughs> that happens a lot around here. Let oh, me just say that yeah. happens a lot. <laughs> so your, uh, your um, definition and your ideas of curiosity are always going to be at the center. But because you've done such a great job in getting so many different um, and diverse guests onto the show, they're definitely going to have their own ideas of curiosity come to the show. And because you've always been so open in your conversations about eliciting, well, what do you think curiosity is? I I don't think there's going to be any. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think actually I'm sort of serial monogamous on this. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's definition is my latest favorite definition Mm -hmm. of curiosity. You know, I would hate to have to paint myself into a corner. Nonetheless, right, I'm, I'm sort of choosing the topics, I'm choosing the guests. So there's a What's the principle or whatever? Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever it is that when you're looking at something, you influence it just by the act of looking. So I'm conscious of that. And yet I've also been conscious of I want to not know that you're looking over my shoulder <laughs> because I don't want that to influence what I'm doing, mm-hmm. right? I, I, You know, I think a lot about kind of, oh, I haven't done a conversation about this or 
you know, what's a, an area that I feel is sort of underrepresented? A hundred conversations seems like a lot, and yet mm. it's sort of just the tip of the iceberg, right? If it's really curiosity and work and life, well, there are a lot of different versions of work and life <laughs> that I could be talking about. So it's been interesting for me to be conscious that this is going on and also try not to have it influence mm. what I'm doing or how the conversations unfold or any of that sort of thing. It's kind of a fun it's a fun thing to know that you're out there doing this. Yeah. And I think I would say that I don't I'm not really coming to the the data with any sort of agenda. And that's what yeah. I like about the kind of exploratory, data-driven approach to finding these clusters of ideas about curiosity. I'm like I said I'm I'm particularly interested in identifying practices of curiosity that people have elicited but not making any judgments about whether that's good or bad for right. example. I was actually reading through uh, a couple of transcripts on the train down today and one practice was like checking your phone for notifications. And, you know, part of me in the background was like, is that really curiosity? <laughs> and then I was like, well, yeah, someone someone is, is telling us that that's, their, that's what they do when they're interested, when they want information, uh, they turn to their phone. And I think I think the reason that we turn away from the textbooks and the, the manuscripts that we're reading uh, as scientists every day towards something like a podcast where people who have, who are experiencing curiosity in their daily lives is because there, there is a richness and to the ideas they bring to the table that us being kind of cloistered in the ivory tower of academia <laughs> miss out on um, when we don't turn our attention to everyday life. So you are a scholar of everyday life. You turn your attention to everyday life every day. <laughs> Talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done and found in doing that, because I I have really enjoyed getting familiar with your work and reading some of these things. You go all sorts of wonderful and curious places. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so I am really interested in what we call experience sampling. It's also been, been called um, ecological momentary assessment or intensive repeated measures designs. And basically what this does is instead of bringing a, a person into the laboratory and doing a couple of uh, tests on them, asking them a couple of questions at this one time point, and then kind of summing them up and saying, okay, you're this type of person, and then they go off into the world. Mm -hmm. Instead, we move outside of the laboratory and we ask them questions multiple times a day over many, many, many days. So in a recent study, for example, at the end of every day, um, they reported on their level of curiosity. So just mm -hmm. how open they were to seeing you know, new and stressful experiences as challenges. And um, by asking an individual this every single day for 21 days, we were able to see just how much it fluctuates from day to day and that there are individual differences in that fluctuation. So for some people, even though they might have, you know, the same level of trait curiosity, they have the same, um, they would have the same tendency to express curiosity if all other things were equal. But because sometimes in the everyday world, you can't always express the curiosity that you might have to do. And some people have really high, highly curious days, but then the next day it goes down, they yeah. might have some obligations that they that they have less autonomy, that they can't, you know, really go after their their curiosity, for example. And so, and as a part of that is you also get um, experiences in situ, so as they go about mm -hmm. their daily lives. So how do these things naturally unfold as a person is going about their daily lives? Now, it's not perfect. Like you said, we are asking them every day, are you curious right now? Are you happy right now? <laughs> and when there is someone standing over your shoulder, there may be some kind of reactivity effects where you're right. kind of paying more attention to what you normally do than if you weren't being, you know, asked questions all the time. There are studies that show that reactivity effect is pretty low. So there are some apps that have been developed in the mental health world that help people look at well-being and mm -hmm. sort of, you know, what's their sense of well-being and 
maybe tracking depression and helping people use that to sort of self-modulate. Do you foresee a time where there might be such a thing for curiosity? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm currently so I'm currently collecting uh, curiosity data multiple times a day for many, many, many days, as well as a host of other things that are going on in the environment. So your family cohesion is your kind of family cohesive, loving towards each other, being supportive. Is there family conflict going on? What's the extent of that family conflict? Are you, do you have high autonomy right now? Do you feel like you mm. can do what you want to do? Mm-hmm. Are you experiencing stress right now? So we're getting a rich picture, not just of their ex- experience of states of curiosity, but everything else that's going on around them that we think is important for uh, augmenting or blunting curiosity across time. And so the way we've been dealing with these data is the way I tend to always deal with these data, and I go to the network approach. And we're creating networks that tell us something about how all of these different states are interacting with one another. Mm. So for some individual, on days when they are experiencing uh, increased depressed mood, for example, this might affect their curiosity. Mm-hmm. It might dampen down their curiosity. But if they're having a day where they feel that they have a lot of autonomy, their family cohesion is high, this can increase curiosity, for example. So some of what you're doing is surfacing correlations on things where if X is true, then Y may be true in a way that we might not independently and of our own observation identify is that it yeah and it's it's the nice thing about it too is that because we have so many we have so many measurements of the same person across time you can kind of start to get a little bit at at, at causality so kind of moving beyond correlations a little bit because you can say you know if i was feeling like this 5 minutes ago and now i'm feeling like this then you have at least that temporal yeah. association that you need yeah and also i think you you bring up the important point of like you can start to do this at the individual level. There may be things that are happening at the group level that translate to most people, but I tend to go after the idiosyncrasies about everyone's life and what may impact your curiosity may not be the same thing that impacts mine. So it's not about curiosity, but you're reminding me of a, of a personal anecdote on this. I had an executive coach a number of years ago, and she asked me to design my perfect day. Mm-hmm. And it included a bunch of things, but one of the things that I realized when I really started to think about what was making a difference in my days was I always walked to work. And a perfect day included walking to work and exchanging smiles and good mornings with total strangers. And that that would set the tone for my day. Like just the random greeting in the morning would put me in a frame of mind going into the rest of the day about how I would show up for work. I love you know, that. You know, just this, the moment I flagged it, I knew it to be true. Like I just felt it in my bones. But I hadn't thought about it until that moment. Mm-hmm. I could never drive to work. You know, <laughs> I, I just never could. I would I always have to be able to walk where I'm going for that very reason. I love that. And so we do a lot of open-ended questions to mm-hmm. get exactly at, at those kind of things. So for a slightly different study, we were risk-taking in, in daily life. So I do a lot of um, like risk-taking, like substance use and dangerous driving, that kind of research. But in everyday life, those risks don't tend to happen that often, right. at least we're finding. And so at the end, end of every day for 21 days, we had over 150 people ask, you know, what was the riskiest thing that you did today? And we got some really funny <laughs> reports. I, I'm blanking on a lot of them, but only uh, only two or three percent of you know, over 3,000 reports of the riskiest behaviors of the day had something to do with alcohol, cigarettes, or driving. Uh, and the rest were things like very kind of social risks, like, you know, I answered right. a Risk question Risk is in, in class, the eye of the oh, beholder. Yes. Yeah. 
And so just getting at that, like what's important for the individual, I think once yeah. you start asking the individual rather than taking this top-down approach and, and being like, well, alcohol use is risky and that's clearly going to be the most pervasive thing in your life. Or whereas if you ask them, I feel like you get end up getting a lot richer uh, detail on on what's really going on in their daily lives. You know, what I love about your work is it reminds me of Annie Dillard's mm. line. Do you know this? No, I don't know. She's, she's an American author, and she wrote in, I think it's in The Writer's Life or something, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. Mm. You're looking at that, yeah. right? You're really oh. trying to understand... <laughs> what we're doing. Yeah, you're speaking my language now, for sure. And so my training is in developmental science. And when I was kind of growing up in that world, one of the first, you and you even hear it a lot today, it's like behavior is a dependent variable. It's an outcome. And it's usually the product of genes and environments and how genes and environments interact with one another. And that's fair and that's true. But I think we miss out on the behavior part as not just an outcome, but something that changes things, something that's an independent variable that influences your internal life, your brain, as as much as it's it's being influenced by it. And so um, Jean-Louis Garieppi, he has a really great chapter that I think about every single day Mm. since I've read it, like, eight years ago. And he talks about behavior as a leading edge of adaptation. It's what we do every day Uh, that changes um, the alignment between our our body and our environment. And exactly what this says, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's the behaviors of, behavior is how we become who we are. It's what we do every day. And so kind of related to that uh, type of idea, when we were studying curiosity every day for 21 days, you know, we were trying to get at this idea of consistency of curiosity. Mm-hmm. It's by consistently being curious that you shore up this, these resources to impact well-being later on. And so it's like it's actually your practice of curiosity every day that's doing it rather than, you know, the propensity to be curious that might be somewhere in your biology, might be facilitated by a, a rich environment that allows you to have autonomy, for example. But it's what you do with that is key. well, and it goes to the you know again sort of the premise of the show, right? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm encouraging people to make that choice, whether they f- whether they feel like they're actually curious or not, but just sort of make the behavioral choice to act in a curious mm-hmm. way. Yeah. yeah. So, do you have curiosity practices? Do I have curiosity practices? I feel like I'm really lucky because I my job is to be curious as a scientist. Mm. I think. And I have a really great boss who allows me to explore my curiosity, I think. And actually, so let me scale that back. And I think, you know, as a scientist, sometimes you're expected to um, focus in on one thing Mm -hmm. and really dive into it, but without thinking about other things that might be happening. I would be what Perry Zirin would call a busybody, probably. (laughs) I do a lot of hunting for individual things that I find interesting, but I I hop around from topic to topic. And I'm lucky because I'm in in an environment that allows that. And it's ended up producing some interesting work, I think. You know, I get to go to the office from 8 to 4, 8 to 5, and be curious on a, on a daily basis, which I think is, is I feel really lucky that I get to do that. And then other things, I kind of make a conscious effort to, I don't know if I would call it a conscious effort. I'm, I try to learn new things a lot. I have this drive to do it, and I really enjoy it. So... I don't know anything about history. I grew up not knowing anything about history, which is awful. So I've been taking like history courses on Coursera. I started a square dancing class uh, last year and I got my mainstream certificate. Apparently there are levels. Once you enter this world, it becomes a, yeah. (laughs) I'm just really glad that you brought up that quote. Um, 
<laughs> from earlier today because um yeah I, I i think like the behavior of the everyday is just so important and i just really enjoy looking at how behavior unfolds from moment to moment and day to day and this idea of of choose to be curious i've been thinking i've been listening to the podcast forever and i think about that title all the time and I think in some ways it's it's true. There are times when you choose to be curious. There are also things that I feel like can bl- uh, blunt your curiosity mm-hmm. in a way that's not necessarily in, in your control. So in our daily experiments, we're finding that on days when your depressed mood is greater than usual, your curiosity yeah. tends to go down. Yeah. And I think part of that, there is an element where you know uh, a person's agency comes in at that point. So in other work, we're finding that on days when you have stressful experiences, your depression increases. But if your stress is increased and your curiosity is, is greater than usual, so when you can take these stressful moments and um, see them as uh, opportunities rather than challenges, your depression doesn't change. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely kind of the two sides of the coin where mm-hmm. I think curiosity can be a resource that when we have these stressful experiences, if we're cur- curious and we have, if we embrace them, our depression can kind of it won't necessarily be affected by our stress. But I feel like there are probably moments where, you know, you you have increased depression and this just fundamentally changes the way your brain is being, is working at that moment. And um, yeah, trying to push someone to be curious at that point, I'm not sure would work. But I mean, again, it's just, it's a, it's a statement that's opening up a whole lot of questions that I don't think we have the answer to yet, but I'm really, really um, curious to explore. <laughs> So part of what's next for Choose to be Curious is more study and an eventual release of David's research. He'll be back sometime in the future to share what he's found. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all 99 of my previous shows where you find your podcasts and on Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. And if you like what you hear, I hope you'll consider supporting WERA and Arlington Independent Media to help keep non-commercial, locally produced, independent TV and radio coming your way. Visit WERA.org. FM to make a tax-deductible contribution. Thank you. Many thanks to today's guest, David Lydon Staley. Stay tuned for more from him and check out his fascinating work on curiosity and other everyday habits. Links on my website. Thanks, too, to my AU intern, Michaela Dwyer. More from her soon as well. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack and Silk and Silver by Azalea at Blue Dot Sessions. A special shout out to my longtime sponsor, realtor Christine Hopkins. Find more from her on Facebook at Nova House Hunter. And of course, don't forget to check the other great best of in Arlington Magazine. Let them know you like their choice. I hope you'll join me for the next hundred episodes. Until then, choose to be curious. And this reminds me of the conversation that you had with Asia Farron Mm -hmm. of the more you practice curiosity, I wonder if it's not choosing to be curious anymore, but if it's like a habit of curiosity, like you chose it so much that you can't choose it anymore. You don't need to choose it. You don't need to choose it anymore. It just just happens.
I think you just gave me the end of my episode. That's like the greatest line ever. (laughs) Nice. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.